We as a ministry believe that we're here. God has called us this week and throughout the course of this conference for you and for your family to say yes to God individually and collectively. And Maggie and I are going to share our stories here this evening on how we've said yes to God over the years. And we're calling kind of this message, Maggie will join me here in a few minutes up here. This message is our saying yes together, adventures in obedience. Okay, so that's what we're going to be talking about in your summit notebooks around page 20, I think, 22. There's some blank pages in the back there. You can take notes during these evening sessions that Maggie and I are teaching together. And then Greg will let you know later in the service where to follow along with him. But this is our saying yes together. How do we obey God together? These are the ideas of adventures and obedience. I grew up in a community much like this, uh, in a church family. I went to church every Sunday. What I began to see over my uh, life there, as I got to my later high school years, that these families that I was in church with uh, committed to following the Lord together, committed to their family relationships and their marriages began to disintegrate. I was around families and couples that began to decide that over a period of time that staying together was not the most important thing, that actually deciding to follow their own desires, their own plans for life was more important. I began to watch as my friends and their parents made decisions that began to wreck their family and tear them apart. Many of you know families like this. Here's a Pew Research study from a few years ago that only 46% of children today are being raised in what we consider a traditional family. That's a father and a mother in their first marriage. That's down from 73% in 1960 and 61% in 1980. So these statistics make me ask the question, what does it take for us as families to stay together? How do we make this last the long haul? How can we begin in this journey together? And I think this idea of saying yes together is a big part of that process. And again, not just statistics on the page, but actual life stories where I've seen that's the case. Maybe you're actually from one of those families. Maybe you're in one of those situations right now, a blended family of sorts. How can you, in this second go-around, be able to make this work and say yes to God together and stick together over the course of your lives? Again, Maggie and I are going to share our stories tonight of how we got here. Maggie, come on up. Um, I'll start here this evening on how we got here. So not only how we got to be living in a church parking lot here in Paradise, Pennsylvania, but how we got to this ministry called Life Action. Again, I grew up on a dairy farm in northern Indiana. Uh, My roots, uh, my family was a Christian family. We were in church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, faithful attenders in church. Dairy farming taught me a lot of things, right? Mostly that it's a 24-7, 365 kind of job, okay? When we went on vacation, we had to pay people to watch the cattle while we went on vacation. I learned a lot about hard work from that that I've learned to appreciate as well, but that didn't really shape my Christian thinking very well in my early years. Going to church every Sunday was great to get a great knowledge of the Bible, but I never really understood that I could not earn my way, hard work my way to heaven. I needed God's grace in my life. Over many period of years, I began to pray a lot of salvation prayers as a young uh, child all the way up to my teen years. And then about the age of 14, at a youth camp, accepted Christ as my Savior, realized my dramatic need for God's grace, that it was nothing inside of me that I could have done, but only because of his grace and his mercy to me that I could have a relationship with him. That began to shape uh, some of the decisions that I made, but I never had a real worldview of how the gospel, of how Jesus' life and ministry should impact the decisions that I made about my family. I'm in a community and a culture and a world that continued to tell me that the American dream was the thing to pursue. That if I could have a house, 2.7 kids, a dog, a nice neighborhood, a solid job, a good income, that that was enough for me. That's began to pursue that with my life. I knew at the age of 12, approximately coming in from one summer baling hay in the hot weather. Anybody ever baled hay in here? Okay, uh, I knew at that stage that that was not what my life calling was, okay? I came inside, I told my parents that day that when I grow up, I'm going to work in an air-conditioned office, I'm going to put my feet on the desk, and I'm going to boss people around, okay? So 
for the next period of about 10 years of my life, that became everything that I pursued with everything inside of me for my life and vocation. I was pretty good with math, with numbers, so I thought the best way to do that and not have to do what I'm doing right now, public speaking, uh, is not to be a math teacher, but to become an accountant. So I began to pursue those routes and try to achieve all of these things that would give me this American dream, what I was hearing from culture, what society was telling me would make me most happy. What I began to discover in this journey in my late high school and college years, that the more I tried to earn and grab at those things, the more I realized how disappointed I was, how discouraged I was, and let down I was. I began to be at a crisis where these things were not actually meeting these places of happiness for me. Thankfully, excitingly, God intervened in some dramatic ways in my life. Uh, late college years, God took me on a mission trip with an accountant turned missionary in Mexico. Okay? If you don't believe in God's sovereignty and providence in those kind of ways, I believe he was very much intervening in who we were paired with on that mission trip. Began to feel like calling to ministry, but I still did not know uh, what that looked like. I did not want to be a pastor, did not want to be a preacher, did not want to be a missionary. So I tried to figure out, God, how can I use these business skills that you've given me, this training that I've received, and still be in, missionary, uh, in, in ministry? I uh, got paired with this amazing ministry called Life Action. I uh, began to serve in some behind-the-scenes areas, and then over the last 12 years, uh, met Maggie there. I uh, began our family there, and everything that we know and be sharing with you about good, healthy relationships. This ministry has done a tremendous job, tremendous job reinforcing these truths for us. Uh, now, uh, as you can see, I actually get to do the very thing that I never thought I'd be doing, which is public speaking, okay? In college, I took a couple of public speaking classes out of force. It almost caused me to stop being an accountant because I did not want to complete those classes, but God knew what he was doing and orchestrating in all of these ways. This life, the story that I'm sharing with you is just a process of saying yes to God in small ways over the years. Yes to God in obedience of these are the kind of activities that are not going to be healthy for me or helpful for me. But then yes to God and his calling to be a disciple maker to the, world, to the world around me. My life is a testimony of my parents' obedience, saying yes to God and how faithfully raising their kids to know and grow in the knowledge of the Lord in church, but then also in the ways he's helped me over the years say yes to him in obedience to his calling. And now I get to be here in Paradise, Pennsylvania, living in your church parking lot. It's been an amazing, amazing journey. Maggie, why don't you share uh, some of your story, how you got uh, to be here this evening? So I told you guys, I think, um, that I grew up in Arkansas, and uh, my life began a little bit differently than Brent's. I am like hillbilly at the very roots. I think they can hear that in your <laughs> accent. Yeah, it's pretty good. So uh, my birth parents were very broken people. They were drug addicts and alcoholics. My very early childhood memories, um, I didn't know what was happening at the time, but now I realize what was happening. My mom was a prostitute. And in order to support her drug habit. So I have lots of memories of men um, were running from the police all the time. My birth dad also super immoral. And so as you can imagine, my early childhood was pretty tumultuous. And um, again, hillbilly. I really remember um, an outhouse out back. And you know when you're driving by, I don't know if they have these places here. But in Arkansas, you drive down these country roads and you see these houses that have like trailers in all the cars they've ever owned and their cousin's cars they've ever owned out front, rotting. That was, those were the kind of places where I grew up. But um, thankfully, um, in another, a couple of towns over, there was another family, super ordinary family, and they were believers. And my dad uh, was a mechanic his whole life, and uh, he'd go in and work at the, work on tires, work on fixing people's cars, and he had Jesus in his chest, and um, so he already had a couple of kids and their dog, you know, their American dream, they, they're done, and, um, but 
the Lord started knocking on my dad's chest and saying, um, I know you thought you were done having kids, but actually I have some more kids for you to rescue. And so um, I'm not going to give you a bunch of details now, but if you come to ladies' luncheon, um, Lord willing, I'm going to share my story of uh, just a miracle, really, of how God got me out of this family over here that was drowning in addiction and sin and, and just darkness and dysfunction and how God rescued me and, um, and gave me to a family who were believers. Um, now, you think that just because they're believers, life was bliss, but we know that people who have Jesus are still kind of messed up, right? So it wasn't all bliss, but we had Jesus. And so Jesus was this glue that kept my family together. So when I was seven and my little brother was five, we got to be rescued together. And that's how we came to be adopted. And now I'm going to fast forward and tell you, um, when I was about 20-something, I don't know numbers. I just say round it off. So somewhere in my 20s, you know, I'm single and I'm working at a tooth factory, which is just a fun way to say dental lab. It was just a dental lab, but it's funner to say tooth factory. And I'm um, trying to live for Jesus, and um, I'm stressed out all the time because I'm working with a bunch of lost people. Some of you guys know what that's like. And um, I'm praying, and I'm surrendering my heart to God. And I, um, I learned about this ministry called Life Action. And I went, I went to be with these people in Life Action. And they're like, you should come and, and work with us. You should work in a Christian ministry. And I wanted to be like, are you guys clueless? Like, I'm in Christian ministry. Like, I'm like the only saved person in this place. And it's really hard work. So, um, but I did pray. And um, I learned that you had to raise your own support. And so I said to God, if you really want me to go, then you can raise my support for me. And if you do that, then I'll know that's a sign. And so I think I wrote the most boring letter that you could write. I didn't even read the letter. It was so boring. And, uh, and I sent it out to my family and friends. I don't recommend that, by the way, for support raising. But um, sent it out, and in three months, God had raised all my support. So I came to Michigan, and I was in my singles. I mean, yeah, in my early 20s. Or actually, I was middle, late 20s now. I'm 26 uh, when I came. And so I thought I was going to be single forever. And I walk into Life Action and there are, like, all these beautiful Jesus-loving girls and, like, two guys. And one of them was kind of nerdy, and the other one, I didn't think he was that attractive. I'll let you figure <laughs> out if I was the nerdy or the unattractive one. <laughs> no, Brent Don't wasn't. come tell me later which one you think I am. That'll be all right. He wasn't even on the scene yet. So I walk in, and um, I'm like, oh, shoot. I am literally going to be single forever. And... Um, but again, I had learned, I had been walking with Jesus because my family were believers. They taught me about God. They taught me how to have a relationship with him and how to surrender my life. And so I remember having this chat with God, and I was like, I felt like God was giving me an ultimatum. He was like, okay, you have a choice. You can be miserable for the rest of your life, or I could be enough for you. And I thought about being miserable for a little bit, and that didn't sound fun at all. So what I did, actually, was I, we live close to Lake Michigan, which is like the ocean, but no sharks. So it's really nice. And I would take my, on Saturdays, when everybody else was being responsible and catching up on life stuff, I would just take my Bible and my journal, and I'd go down to the beach, and I would just spend the day with Jesus. And I'd just say to Jesus, okay, if it's just going to be me and you, I kind of need to like you, and I want to know you, and I also, would you just fill this up in here? 
um, because I'm really lonely and I'm getting depressed and life is looking a little bleak, you know, for me. So would you just be enough for me? And um, it was neat because during that season, God really began to show me that he's so close. He's a close friend and he really is satisfying and comforting. And um, but glory of glories, Brent showed up on the scene and I'm fast forwarding. What am I fast forwarding to? So you're serving at Life Action. I show up. We get married. Okay. We have some kids. We have children. Yep. All of that. Okay. So now. How, how, how do we get here? Okay. Yeah. How do we get on a parking lot? So what happened was um, I'm reading my Bible one morning and I come across this really crazy prayer. Uh, Betty Scott Stam, she was actually a missionary and uh, she prayed this prayer and someone wrote it down and it ended up in my quiet time somehow. And it says, I can't remember the words exactly, but it says something like, God, I surrender to you my past, my present, my future, my hopes, my dreams, everything. I surrender to you to now at all costs. I want to follow you. And I remember reading that prayer, and I really wanted to pray it, but I was scared because I'd been learning, I'd been knowing God for a while, and I know what he does to people who surrender to him. He asked them to do really crazy things that they don't actually want to do. And so I remember like gulping, like, you know, and I'm, gonna, I'm like, God, I'm going to pray this prayer. I don't think I actually mean it. So could you just give me grace? I'm going to mean it as best as I know how, but just give me grace for the rest that I don't mean. And so I prayed the prayer, shut my Bible, my children wake up, I'm done talking to Jesus. You know how it is when your kids wake up. And so, but Brent comes home from work and um, he says... Hey, Maggie, the, um, the ministry wants to know if we want to be those people who uh, live in um, parking lots and drive a semi-truck around with all of our children and pull a long trailer. And he's like barely getting anything out. And I'm staring at him like, this is the stupidest thing that you ever said and you need to stop talking. And I don't actually want to talk to you anymore for three days. So don't come anywhere close, you know. So it really... You, she was like six months pregnant at the time. It might have been the stupidest thing yeah. Yeah, that I ever thought of, yeah. So, I, but again, I know you're supposed to pray about your life. That's what good Christians do. And so I said, God, if you want me to do that, you're going to have to do a miracle in my heart. And so uh, I think that something happened, and they stopped asking. And I was like, whew, that was a close one. And um, I'm like, glad that's over. But then a little bit later, so a few months later, Brent comes home again, and he, this time he's like, okay, don't be mad. Um, he's like tiptoeing around me, but he says, but they, they really do mean it. Like, they're asking us again. They think that we would do good at this life. Um, and I just kind of look up to God, and I'm like, that's why I don't pray those prayers, because I know what you do. And so, but here's the sweet thing about God, is um, I was really mad, honestly, um, I was so angry, and I was scared, and I just said to God, God, why? Like, life is so short. Why would I be so scared? I know you love the world. I know you love the church. You know, this is a neat opportunity to build into the church, but why am I terrified of this? And um, this is what God showed me. He was like, Maggie, remember when you were little, and you were, uh, before you were adopted, you were running, you guys were running from the police all the time. You were in a different town all the time, and you were in a different house. And, um, and then he was like, remember that time when you got adopted? And you guys lived on that dirt road for like a long time. And every day you got off the school bus, 
and you stepped onto that same ground, and you looked up, and there were those same big trees in the backyard, and you started believing that in order for everything to be safe, in order for everything to be okay in your world, that that means nothing changes. And then he said, um, what is the only one safe place in the world? Because there's really just one place that nothing and no one can shake you out of. And I knew in that moment that the only one safe place in the world is really God's heart. And once we find our home in God's heart, it's like we're free to go anywhere. And so once God healed that fear, I started thinking like, okay, what would it be like to live in a trailer on parking lots? And then I literally started laughing like a hyena because I'm like, that's insane. But at least I'm thinking about it. So anyways, that's just how our story, honest, raw story of how God was patient, knowing in my heart all along that I want to say yes to him. I really do trust him, but not all the way sometimes. And how he's so gracious and patient with us and works with us because he wants us to trust him. And sometimes we don't really see fully who he is until we step out in faith and saying yes, even though we don't know what's ahead. That's great. Thank you, Maggie. One of the passages that ministered to me during that season, but I think applies to what Maggie's parents had to decide to do when they decided to adopt her, what my parents had to do when they were raising me and my brothers, and the decisions that we always have to make have to be light of this passage in Mark 8. It's become a life verse for me. Mark 8, 34 through 36 says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What we've discovered on this journey is that we actually begin to forfeit parts of what we think is best for us. And in that process, actually find the greatest places where our souls are thriving the most. When we say yes to God in obedience, not only in the things that we don't do, but in the things we do for him, on mission for him together, we begin to discover new parts of us where greater joy, peace, hope comes in to our lives. So that's a little bit of a story about how we got here. I want to unpack for you some truths, again, that Greg shared a little bit this morning. Your kids learned in clubs this morning this idea of obedience. So in light of these truths, how do we think about this thing called obedience? How do we begin to apply this to my life? Maybe, Brent, you're saying, I want to tune out right now because if I listen to this and start applying this, I'm going to have to live in a trailer in church parking lots, okay? Uh, the good news for you is there's not a lot of people that are called to do that. Pastor Keith, I know that that's not what you want to do. Okay, we've had that conversation these last few days with you. But I do have a word of warning for you, okay? Uh, we shared these truths at our Life Action Camp this summer. We'll tell you more about that later in the week. Uh, this same message we shared to a group of individuals uh, there that week, about 30 families. And in that process, uh, God actually called uh, one of those families to be, begin traveling um, and saying yes to God and living in church parking lots. And get, uh, better news, they're here with us tonight. So Garrett and Amanda right there, Lee, uh, they live in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, they came over two and a half hours. They're in the process of raising their support to come here and be a part of this, not with our team, but one of our other teams that travels all across the country. Uh, they heard this message, what, three months ago? Um, and now they're sitting in a church preparing to get to do this. So word of warning to you, uh, this may actually be what results of this, but in better ways, the bigger thing is how can you say yes to God in obedience? What is he going to say to you? This is not the calling God has for every one of us. We're not super spiritual giants, okay? We're not uh, heroes of the faith. We're just people that has encountered an amazing God who loves us deeply 
and who knows what's best for us. And for our family right now, this is what's best for us. For the world, God needs us to be on mission for him, serving churches in these ways. For you, it may not look anything different in your vocation, in where you live, in your schedule, but it may mean saying yes to God in some ways. So this is what we talk about um, in the idea of obedience. Here's a definition that we go to on what obedience looks like, okay? Obedience is simply this. It's doing exactly what God says to do when he says to do it with the right heart attitude. There's three components to that. We're going to unpack that here for these next few minutes. Each one of these components matters. Without the first one or the second one or the third one, it's not obedience, Okay, all three of these things are equally important to this idea of obedience, of being able to do and say yes to God that we're challenging you with this week. So here's the first one, doing exactly what God says to do. Now, how do we know that? Okay, um, God is not a physically uh, present here, not somebody that we can go and see, right? He's not in this room physically that I can go talk to him in that chair right there. So how do we know what it is God's saying to us? Well, thankfully, uh, he's given us his word, right? We can go to his word, we can listen, read, and know God's word. That's how we know what it is that God is saying to do, okay? He has the Holy Spirit that ministers and works inside of us, but his Holy Spirit only confirms and only seeks to us in confirming what his word already says. We can go to God and his word to know what it is that he says to do. The question is, do you listen, do you read, and do you know God's word? If you want to know in your life what it is that God's saying to do, he's going to show you through his word. He's going to confirm to you through his word what it is that he's asking you and calling you to do. Maggie's parents took on this idea of adopting uh, because of what his word said about taking care of what? Orphans, right? Okay. Uh, These things, these truths are all unpacked in God's word. Uh, we got to listen, read, and know it if we're going to do exactly what God says to do. Now here's a warning from Luke 11, 28, right? It's not just enough to know God's word, but he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Obedience is not just knowing God's word, okay? You may know all of the Bible. You may know several parts of the Bible, but you may not be living according to what God's word says. Obedience is not just knowledge. It's actual action. Obedience is doing what God's word tells us to do and walking in that way. That's how we find the joy of this adventure, this journey of obedience. Second part of obedience is this, when he says to do it, okay? It's good to know what God's word says to do, what God is telling us to do. The also important part of that is when he says to do it. Um, How do we know? How do we know when God is telling us to do that? I think the best mechanism for having those conversations with the Lord on when he's calling us, what we see in his word, and how to apply that, and to be on action and mission for him is actually do that in prayer. Prayer gets a lot of uh, sometimes complicated uh, thoughts behind it, seems really vague and unspecific. I think the best way that I think about prayer is when I'm simply doing this. I'm just talking with God about the things we're working on together. The things that he's laid on my heart based on what his word is saying to me, the burdens and cares that I have for the world around me, the things that are on his heart and mind for the world around me that I don't even see or I'm not aware of yet because I have yet to experience those things. But again, as I begin to pray, as we begin to pray and ask God what it is that we're working on together, it's amazing what he'll unfold to us and what he'll lead us to be able to do in obedience to him. The when is just an important, and sometimes God's tells us pretty specifically what to do, Um, We need to do that immediately, but sometimes it's not real specific. We need real guidance and direction. I think prayer is the rhythm and pattern for that. Example is what Maggie just shared. The ministry asked us a year before we actually started traveling to travel, and uh, it was not the right timing for us. I was excited and ready to go. I was kind of burned out on my administrative roles in ministry. I was ready for a change of life. I would have packed my trailer, my family up uh, the next day and gone and traveled on down the road. Uh, But if I had done that, it would have been a really wrong decision. Maggie and I were talking to this together. God had not worked in her heart yet, had cemented that this was the right timing for her or for our kids. If we had done that, we would have been on a completely different team. 
with a completely different set of leaders and Greg and Patty, and we would not be here in Paradise, Pennsylvania today. Okay, I believe God spoke and worked through Maggie in our prayer times together, realizing that God was calling us to go on this journey, but the timing of when was just as important. Waiting on the Lord, talking with him in prayer is how you figure out the when part of that. Now, here was the challenge as well. A year later, uh, this was kind of my office at Life Action, okay? Pretty sweet corner office there, lots of light, lots of windows. Uh, I was an accountant, so I was kind of moving up through the ranks. Uh, The CFO position in our organization opened up at the same time traveling did the second time they asked us. Okay, if you know anything about the career path of an accountant, CFO is kind of your career path that you're aiming for. I had worked for about 10 or 12 years. I had given up this idea of climbing the corporate ladder when I entered ministry, but it slowly had crept back in. And I had my sight and my eyes set on this position and really felt like that was what I wanted to do, where I wanted to be, and yet God was also inviting us at the same time to travel and be on this journey with life action. I was faced with the choice. Do I do what I want, what I feel is comfortable, what I've been working towards, or do I clearly follow God's calling and obedience by talking and praying with him what he was leading us to do? He led us to take this decision. It's been the best decision of my life. It's not been a day that's woken up that I thought, maybe I should have stayed and been the CFO. Maybe I should still be working in this office. You know why? I get to see incredible transformation week in and week out. I get to see God working in your lives and the people's lives we interact with the churches. I get this amazing group of young adults to travel with and watch God change them. I've never looked back. Because this is exactly what God had for us. He's been gracious and kind to us to help us to see that this was the right timing for that. So again, when he says to do it, it's just simply by praying and talking with God about the things that we're working on together. Here's the third and final point, okay? Also very important, also critical to this message, with a right heart attitude. Okay, sometimes we can say yes to God um, in his word. We can say, uh, yeah, I, will, um, I see what your word is saying. I've prayed and talked with you about it. I know when I'm supposed to do this. But God, I do not want to do this. I'm going to stick my feet in the ground and I say I'm not going to do that. Or we say I will do it, but I'm very begrudgingly going to take those steps towards obedience. I'm willing to follow through, but I am not excited. My heart is not right about this. I think obedience is following what God's word says when he says to do it. But this last part is just important. It's this excited, heartfelt yes. Yes, because you trust God's heart. Yes, because you believe he knows what's best for you. Yes, because you believe that he knows what's best for the world around you. This idea of saying yes is the right heart attitude as you consider walking through these ways with God. Again, I think it's good to do what God's word says and when he says to do it, but the best way to do it, the way to actual walk in obedience is to be excited as you trust God in this process, this amazing opportunity. And here's the challenge again, just say yes to God. This week you're going to have a lot of points where God is going to intersect with you, where you're at in your life decisions in the ways that you're carrying things, the things that you're struggling with that you don't even know about right now, we're going to reveal some of those things. God's word is going to reveal some of those things to you this week. I just encourage you again to say yes to God as he moves and works in your heart. This passage for us has been huge in this journey to move from a safe, comfortable house to a trailer on wheels that moves every couple weeks. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Now, I told you this morning, I pull a 57-foot trailer pulled by a semi-truck, okay? If there's one thing I pray for, it's straight paths, okay? When I came out here on Highway 30 Thursday night, and that construction's going on, and it's about yay big, and my trailer's about yay big, okay, I started freaking out. That was not a straight path, okay? I know about that driving my truck, but I also have learned that the paths of life, man, the more I can pray and ask God for straight paths, the more I'm walking in obedience, he's going to actually make that path straight. What seems crooked, what seems out of control, what seems crazy in the moment 
is actually the straightest path for us in the journey. It doesn't always seem that way to my perception, but when I can walk and follow God in obedience, it's amazing how straight that path actually is, how smooth that road is and the ways he takes care of us and the incredible amount of joy that comes in that journey and that process. That's kind of the challenge for you tonight, but I have a couple of thoughts I want to unpack with you, okay? I started at the beginning that we've seen, I'm seeing the more conversations I have, this idea of family kind of not sticking together, kind of falling apart, okay? Around World War II, the end of the world, uh, the World War II, I think, let me double check my notes here. I think it's World War II. Yes, World War II, okay, uh, happens. Uh, there's families that uh, the husbands, the dads have gone off to war, right? Uh, the wives are working in factories, right, providing all the needs and the goods for that. Families were incredibly divided after World War II. Uh, this uh, Parents Magazine produced uh, this, this uh, question, began to ask this question uh, at this time. A family that blank together stays together. Okay, well-known saying, right? We fill this in with lots of things. Here's some ideas that, that this magazine came up with, things that I hear of what it actually takes to keep a family together. Here's the first one. Family that plays together stays together. So I believe in that, right? We, we find lots of activities to do together. We do board games and, and um, ride scooters around in a parking lot, and we do lots of things like this as a family. I think playing together does help your family stay together. I encourage you to do that. Family that stays together, um, a family that uh, plays together stays together. A family that eats together stays together. Okay, I'm going to encourage you these weeks to, to spend some time eating meals together as a family. I think that's a good way to connect at the end of the day or the beginning of the day to eat together. Uh, so I think that's uh, one of the things that you can do. A uh, family that laughs together stays together. family that sticks together stays together. Sometimes we in church even say this, a family that prays together stays together. I believe all of these things are true. I think if you start incorporating those things in your life, you'll begin to find rhythms and patterns to help you stay together. But here's what I found more than anything else. When I think about my life, the journey that God's had me on, the journey that Maggie's family had her on, the path that we found together individually, collectively, and corporately together now as a family of six is this. A family that obeys together stays together. If you will begin in your individual life saying yes to God in obedience, if you begin in your marriage relationship saying yes to God in obedience, if you begin in your, mar- in your family lives beginning to say yes to God in obedience, your ability to stay together is exponentially higher. Because you cannot separate when you're on mission for God together, when you're staying with God together. This is not just doing what God says not to do, avoiding the wrong things. This is doing the right things. His call to go and make disciples. His call to reach a lost and broken and hurting world. His call to minister to wi- widows and orphans. I'm thankful for the charge and the challenge you all have taken on in some of these capacities. But I'm telling you right now, what we're discovering is the more that we can say yes together as a family, the more that we can obey God together, the more likely that we are to stay together. I want to give you one final picture and then some life in action challenge thoughts for tonight. Uh, we began uh, this journey a couple years ago, traveling on the road. One of the things Maggie loved was to get to have a new home to decorate, okay? Maggie loves being able to decorate our home back in Michigan, but now she had this trailer that she got to decorate, okay? I could really care less about that, okay? The brown walls in the trailer are fine with me, okay? Uh, But she's found uh, that she really enjoys that. One of the things that we are being praying for is how do we help our kids get the idea behind this? Okay, they're really the heroes of this journey. I can leave friends because I can pick up relationships pretty much where I left them. It's hard for kids that are five, eight, and nine years old to do this. But we began to find and challenge them this idea that that we're on this adventure together. One of the first things we found for our trailer was this floor mat that now sits right outside our door. Adventure awaits. We had no idea that that would actually become what we'd experienced day in and day out. 
That what we find when we get to minister in these churches, what we find when we're pulling our semi-truck down the road and we're stopped on the side of the road for four hours waiting for roadside repair to come, that every one of these opportunities is this idea that an adventure is awaiting us. Church, let me tell you this right now. The life with God of saying yes to him in obedience, adventure is incredibly awaiting you. Your individual life, as you say yes to God, as you say yes to God and your families, I can't tell you what adventure will come. I don't know what it looks like. All I can tell you is it's waiting. It's awaiting you as you say yes to God in obedience. It's been proven. I love getting to walk out the door every morning and think about the adventure that God has for us as we say yes to him together. So here's your life in action challenge for tonight. Ours collectively together. I'm going to give you a couple questions every evening. Consider how to put these truths of these messages into action. Okay, here's your first one. Is our family lifestyle conducive to hearing and obeying God? If I were to look right now at your calendar or your checkbook or the ways that you spend your time or your finances, your resources, or your relationships together as a family, would I see, would we see a lifestyle that's conducive to hearing God's word and then obeying God's word? Would that be what we saw if we looked at your lifestyle, the decisions that you're making, the ways that you're conducting your lives, would that say that you're conducive to hearing and obeying God? Here's the second one, equally as important, okay? Maybe in some ways even more important. Is there any area of my life where I'm saying no to God? Anything in my life right now that I'm saying, God, this part of my life is mine, and I'm not willing to let you into that part of my life. God, I know what you're calling me to do, but I'm not ready to trust you with that area of my life yet. God, I know it's clear what you've been speaking to me or to my family, but we're not willing to be obedient yet. Is there any area of your life right now, maybe it's something that you should stop doing, but in greater ways, maybe it's something that you're supposed to start doing, that you're just not ready at this place yet where you're ready to say yes to God. I want to encourage you, this week, just begin to trust God in greater ways. Say yes to him in faithful obedience. I'm going to pray for us, and then we may have a change in schedule because you all packed the house tonight. So we're going to uh, figure out how to do that here in a moment. Will you pray with me tonight? Father, thank you so much uh, for, again, the journey that you've had Maggie and I on and that we get to be here in paradise this week. There's a, a lot of other places that we could be. But I'm so, so thankful that we're here. I'm excited to see what you're going to do in the hearts and lives of these wonderful folks as they take on this challenge of saying yes to you. Asking that every uh, individual and couple and family would begin to ask themselves this question, God, is my lifestyle right now conducive to hearing your voice and to obeying you? And God, is there anything in my life right now where I've said, no, I'm not willing to go there? God, don't put your hand on that place in my life. I'm asking God for freedom in Jesus' name to come into these areas as we trust you in greater ways and serve on mission to you together, uh, bringing glory to your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.